Well, good morning, everybody. You guys all look awesome. Some of you outdressed me this morning. <laughs> so here we are. Resurrection Day 2022. You all made it. I'm so glad you're here. The victory that Jesus has given us is tremendous. And it came at a tremendous cost. And some of us in here today, we don't recognize that victory. We're not walking in it right now. Maybe you feel the pressure of the world caving in on you. Maybe you're feeling the pressure of your own trial, the things that you're walking through right now, the challenges, the difficulties that you face. And it seems to overshadow his resurrection glory. And you're in good company because you're in church. And if you're in Christ, whether you're following Jesus or not, okay, we all go through things. We all go through challenges. Following Jesus does not mean that's a get out of jail free card in the sense that we're going to go through this life and it's going to be easy. No, it means there is going to be challenges. There is going to be difficulties. And today, what I want to impress upon you is we all have a choice to make. Believer unbeliever, doubter. Maybe you're living in this world and you're all confused because you don't understand how bad things can happen, especially to good people. And that's okay because we're about to read the account of his resurrection today where these people are highlighted. And the good news is that by the end of the chapter, they're all believers. And that my friends, this is what I want for every one of you, for every one of you watching online, is that we leave here today changed. Amen. We put our faith in him, or there's something in our walk with Jesus that needs to change. That's what resurrection is all about. It's not just about us being alive for all eternity in heaven with Jesus. But it's for us to be able to walk in power and in authority that he has given us for this life right now. And let me tell you something. I am sick of facing things because I'm human too. And I tend to forget that that resurrection power is in me. And I'll let those challenges come over me. And I don't know about you, but this is a day and age right now that we've got to walk in victory that we have a choice to be able to do that or not to do that. And that's awesome because God gives us that free will to choose and to exercise that authority that Jesus paid such a price for. So we just got through talking over the last few weeks and wow, we are in week five of this series, Good Friday counting as one. But we're learning about all the aspects of Jesus as king, that he is the king prophesied. And I had mentioned that a thousand years before he was even born, these prophecies started to come out in the Old Testament, about 400 of them, and he's fulfilled about 300 of them already. And what that means to us is that his promise stands today, that when he says he is going to do something, that's where we have that peace. We know that he is going to do it, amen? So he's gonna come back, those promises, promises have yet to be fulfilled, but he is going to fulfill it. Amen. I promise you. He promises you. <laughs> and then we learned that he is 
the missional king. He is on mission. We talked about that last week, about how he was in such great distress, much like I have been all week so that I can deliver this message to you. <laughs> but he was in great distress to accomplish that mission, to go to the cross on behalf of our sin. Missional king. And the good news is, and we're going to see here later when we read through John chapter 20, that he invites us to be part of that mission. That's why we're still here. Amen? And then we talked about on Palm Sunday how he is the king of kings. He is not like any other king in all of history. Not like any other leader. Because what the awesome thing about Jesus is, is that he is victorious king. That's what we're going to talk about today. But he's the kind of king who said, I've come to serve, not to be served. That I've come to give my life to be a ransom for many. That's all of us in here. That his kingship is a kingship that we share in. And then, of course, on Good Friday, we talked about him being the sacrificial king. Like, how many kings give up their life, literally, in the, in the fashion and in the way that he gave up his life on a Roman cross for his people? He did that. Well, that was Friday, and today is Sunday. He is victorious. He is the victorious king. And believe me, what I got for you today, I cannot wait, wait to share it. So let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This will whet your appetite. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church, starting in verse 53. He says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is what? Sin. And the power of sin is the law, but... You know how much I love the word but in the Bible. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's victory. He is victory. He is king who shares in the spoils of his victory. And it's our choice whether or not we want to receive that. That's what's awesome. Every one of you has a choice in here. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on doing good works. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on anything other than whether or not you place your faith and trust in what he has done for us. Amen? There's one word that if I were to say it, some of you young people might be scared when I say this word. But his death on the cross paid for our sins, his resurrection, his commitment, commitment to carry out his promise for us. That we, once we receive him, become a new creation, and now we're alive in him for all eternity. Commitment. His resurrection means commitment. And some of you are laughing, I know, that word commitment, right? Because the world, when, it, when we say commitment, 
We, we laugh at it. The world always fails. People in our life always fail us. But he will never fail us. His commitment to us was given to us through his resurrection. So you know me, I'm the kind of guy who loves to go back and look at some things before we actually get into the core of the message today. So I'm going to go back and look at some things that happened before Jesus rose from the dead. And, and this is kind of like, again, the pregame to the Super Bowl. So before I do that, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for everything that you have done for us today. I thank you, Father, for your presence in this room. I thank you right now that for those that are here that maybe they're questioning Maybe they're doubting. Maybe they just flat out say, I just don't believe. I'm asking you right now to open their hearts right now to receive. Father, I ask that you speak through me today. I ask that the Holy Spirit falls on every one of us, Father. I thank you that ears will be open to hear what it is that you are saying to them. And Father, I just give you the glory for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38. After these things, very first three words, what things? Jesus entered Jerusalem five days before. It's Palm Sunday. He's in great distress because he has to go to the cross. He already knows he's going. It's prophesied. He even prophesied it. It's going to happen As he said to Pilate, for this reason I was born. Born to do what? Born to die. These things. He goes to the cross. God's wrath for our sin that was placed on his back was poured out on Jesus. Jesus gave up his spirit, committed it into the Father's hands, and he died. But beforehand he said, it is finished. What's finished? The payment for our sin debt wiped out. Every one of us in here, the Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person in here, not one person out there in all the world that has not sinned. We've all sinned, whether it's a thought, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whether it's gossip, whether it's getting drunk, whether it's being promiscuous. It doesn't matter what it is. We have all sinned. He took care of it on the cross. So after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. That was Friday. Today is Sunday. Going into John chapter 20, maybe... Maybe for you, you're still in Friday. Maybe for you, you need to be changed. Maybe for you, 
You've looked at your, your situation and you're in despair and you're hopeless. Maybe for you, you feel like you're literally in a tomb. But here comes Sunday. Here comes today. And what I see in all of you right now as I'm looking around this room is hungry. There's a hunger. There's a hunger to experience what it is that we stand on for our entire life. It's the fact that Jesus is resurrected. You're hungry for his power. I know it. Because a lot of us, we come in here on our Sunday best, especially on Easter Sunday, and we look really good on the outside. But what Jesus said to the Pharisees comes to my mind. You look like a brand new tomb where nobody has ever been laid, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. And that's not me condemning you. That's me just saying that's just the nature of humanity. That we need to walk in victory, but yet we feel like this, like Jesus did on the cross. We're in agony. We feel separated from God. Maybe you're in here, you're a believer, but you haven't felt his presence on you in a long time. Like somehow that relationship has gone a little south. But remember the word I said before, it's commitment. He hasn't stopped loving you. So maybe the tomb-like feeling you're experiencing right now is he's not there in your life. At least that's what you think because you don't feel him there. And the reminder is, yes, he is. So in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, starts out this way. Now on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, this represents a new beginning. See, today, every Sunday, but especially today when we celebrate his resurrection, it's a brand new beginning. You may not know it coming in here. Maybe coming in here is a nice way of checking the box. I've done my Easter Sunday thing. Now I can go home and give my kids some Easter eggs and have a lovely ham dinner with my family. That's not the reason why we celebrate Easter. For you coming in here today, it's not check the box. Today, it's a new beginning for you. So what's the new beginning? What's the now on the first day of the week? Well, the day before was Saturday. The Jews were experiencing Sabbath. The Jews were bound still by the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and to fulfill everything the prophets have said. The law has been fulfilled. Now granted, he made it a lot harder for us because he said the great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. He made it harder. But here's what really changed. It went from doing to relationship. Saturday was all about the doing. The new day on Sunday is about relationship with God. And out of that relationship, man, okay, Don, I'm going to show off with you a little bit. When Don hugged me this morning in the lobby, and literally, he did, he picked me right up off the floor, okay? Dude, that was Jesus, man. That was from a relationship standpoint. That was from out of his, out of his heart, right? So we don't 
just obey the commandments or the law. It's, it's from a position of relationship that, that I want to do that, that I want to serve God, that I want to love on people. Am I making sense? This is a new day. So for some of you, that's, that's mind-blowing because you be, you've been coming to church all your life maybe. Maybe you've just now stepped into a church and all you can think of is it's all about the rules. It's all, I got to do this, this, and that in order to measure up to something for God so that he will love me and then maybe I might be able to squeak into heaven when my life is over. No, no. This is a new day. That new day came 2,000 years ago when he resurrected. That new day is relationship now with God. And so in the very next part of this verse, I haven't even gotten out of verse one yet. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene represents that new day. Mary Magdalene, when she met Jesus three years before, was one way. She met him And now she's another way. New. New creation. New relationship with God. She was one way, met Jesus, and now she is a new way, a new creation. And Mary Magdalene represents something that's so important. She represents all of us. And maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, I can never come to Jesus because I am so bad. Man, you have no idea, Pastor Jeff, what I have done. Matter of fact, I'm sitting in here and I feel guilty because I've stepped into a church because I've done things that are so bad. Do you want to know what Mary Magdalene had going on in her life? The Bible said that she had not one, not two, but seven demons in her. She was so demonically oppressed but she met Jesus she was one way and now she's a new creation a new day for her has begun no more demon possession like if I'm going to think of sin if I'm going to think of of evil and being away from God like being demonically depressed or oppressed and possessed Seven of them, okay, that is like the outer ring of, of, <laughs> of sin, am I right? That is like the farthest away you can get from God. But yet she met Jesus, and it was a new day for her, and now she's a new creation. So she came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Okay, maybe some of you in here, you're a believer already, and you're like, hey, I'm all good. Jesus is in my life. I know I'm born again. I know I'm going to go to heaven. Okay, but how is your devotion to him? How is your relationship with him right now? How deep is it? An indication of that is what's coming out of you? Like when Don gave me a hug, you know? Like what's coming out of you? Is that, is that love of God coming out of you right now or is it just a personal relationship? See, we love to say that as Christians, right? Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, which almost for me translates, he's my personal thing. I don't share him with others. It's just between me and him. Her devotion was so much that she went early to the tomb. And why? Because 
when Jesus died on the cross, they had to get him in the tomb because of the day of preparation. They had, didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare his body. And she cared about him so much that she was the first one on the scene, as the Bible says, before there was even any sunlight. She arrived when it was dark to finish off that preparation. Devotion. Why? You ever thought about that? Why did she and other women and 12 men follow him? It's because they loved him so much. There is something about his character. He didn't push people away. The only people he pushed away were those that were hard of heart, those that were religious. He pushed them away. But for them, they saw that he was accepting of them, not of their sin, but of them. That he loved them because he created them. Because he has a plan for them. To the point where before the sun even came up, this young woman decided that I gotta go and make sure he is doing okay because she thought he was dead. But she is gonna get a rude awakening in a very good way. So she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran. Man, victory. I mean, we're talking about victory, right? Victory is right there. She ran from it. She just would have stayed put just for a little bit longer. She would have experienced victory, but instead she ran from it. How many of us in here are running away from victory in Jesus? She ran, and she went to Simon Peter, and other, the other disciple, and that other disciple is John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she went and went to go get the disciples. She went and grabbed John and Peter. And we're in John's gospel right now. And the reason why I believe God led me here, again, it's all about relationship. John is known to write John as the love gospel. John, I believe, picked Mary Magdalene when there's other accounts of the resurrection that also mention other Marys. But he zeroes in on Mary Magdalene and in this account, the one that I'm going through right now is because John is the one whom Jesus loved. John is writing right here the love gospel. This is meant for us to understand the deep relationship that God wants for us and with us. And she's very concerned. She said, the Lord has taken, or they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Who's they? She She's confused. She doesn't know what to think about all this. So she ran away and got Peter and John. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. And, and I love this, John puts this in here. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter <laughs> and reached the tomb first. What is with us as Christians that we feel like we gotta compete with each other? You know what? I'm okay with a little bit of healthy competition. If you can outmatch Don's hug on me, let's go. I'll be out in the lobby after church today. But for some reason, there's a little bit of brotherly competition here. And John outruns Peter. And in verse 5, 
and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, just like Peter, right? That boldness. See, we see kind of this, this competition, but, but John gets afraid and he just kind of stands there frozen, looking down into that tomb. But here comes, uh, here comes Peter, brushing aside him and goes actually into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. This is very, very important to understand. The face cloth has been folded and left at the head where Jesus' head was at. And Jesus intentionally did that. This was not somebody taking him away. This was not people stealing his body or desecrating this, this tomb. No, he intentionally, when he raised from the dead, took that face cloth, folded it up, and put it where his head was as a symbol that I am alive, that I intentionally, by the power of God, because I am God, resurrected from the dead, that I am victory. And see, they're looking at this, and they're confused, and Mary is upset, and they're in victory. They're in the presence of victory. They're seeing victory. They're experiencing it, but they don't know it. And for us, it's frustrating because we know the end of the story. But we cannot blame them for their lack of faith because they didn't know yet. And we have the privilege, if you will, to be able to read the end right now and know. But see, they didn't know. And don't get all religious and pious and say how, how little faith they had. That's not fair. So this is really cool. This next verse. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, and this is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw, and what? He saw, and what? He saw, and what? Believed. Believed. This is awesome. John saw and believed. He represents those of us in here that are believers. He saw, and he believed. And there's something I'm going to touch on here in a minute that makes us a little bit more up there than John. John saw and believed, but there's something that we have to do as believers now, 2,000 years later. He saw and believed, and in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So what do you think happened with John? When John saw, everything came rushing back to him. He remembered the three times that Jesus said that I must die and be raised on the third day. That all came back to him, and he believed. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing right now. I can't believe what it is that they were experiencing at that moment. The one that they followed, 
died on a Roman cross. For John, he was there at the foot of the cross. He saw Jesus be tortured, murdered, and give up his spirit and die. He experienced that. Now he's there at the tomb, and he's not there anymore. What is he thinking right now in this moment? What is it you're going through right now in this moment? It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It does not change the fact that he is alive. It does not change the fact that you can choose victory. And John did. He saw and believed. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. Today, you're going to leave here and you're going to go back to your homes. Like Peter and John, you have a choice to make. You can either go home believing or you can go home and be in unbelief. I pray that you're like John after today. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Again, we switch to Mary. The disciples leave. Mary is there, confused. What's going on? She's crying. And as she sees these angels, she doesn't even realize who or what they are. And they look at her and say, woman, why are you weeping? Men, if your wife is crying and you look at her and say, why are you crying? What's going to happen? I'm just saying. So I love the angels. They're just matter of fact. Woman. Why are you weeping? She didn't even realize. Again, like Peter, victory is right there. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. Again, she's thinking somebody stole his body. Like somebody desecrated his tomb. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus is right here with us, whether you know it or not. He's right here. Man, all you got to do is what Mary's going to do here in a second. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? There it is again. Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, are you ready for this? Mary. Mary. He called her by name. Relationship. Not rule following. Not religion. Relationship. He's calling you all right now by your name. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus is right here. Whether you're a believer or not, today, the choice that you have to make is will you turn to him? 
He's calling you. Well, I don't hear him calling me right now, Pastor Jeff. No, you may or may not. But the fact that you made the decision to come in here today and hear the gospel presented and God speak through me, he's calling you. Will you turn to him and call him Rabboni, which means teacher, but the deeper meaning is master, Lord. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God. He is not Buddha. He is not Allah. Those are not gods. Because they did not die for you. And they did not resurrect from the dead. But he did. He is God. And all he wants you to do is turn to him and say, you're my Lord. I receive you. So Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. So if he's saying this, if we just use your mind for a minute, she clung to him. She grabbed onto him. Relationship. He just wants you to grab onto him. He said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus said, go, go and tell. He's still thinking like a missional king. He wants all of us to go and tell our friends. And so what does Mary do? In verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the who? the Lord. She's now a believer. And that he said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, so here we are, the new day of the week, still on Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Here are men that walked with him. But in order for them to believe in his resurrection, they had to see it with their own eyes. They had to see to believe. That requires little faith. He appears right there before them in the flesh, to the point where they're able to touch him, they're able to see. And my friends, today, we can't see that right now. Because the Bible says he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. We're going to talk about next week how Jesus is the warrior king. There's a reason why he is seated there right now. He is still fighting for all of us. The war is won, but there are still battles that are yet to be fought. We, as believers now, can't physically see him, but they had the luxury of being able to see him and touch him. And Jesus said to them again, this is in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what happens after you get saved? We have a mission. We have a calling. 
We need to go out and tell others about Jesus. We need to go out and be Jesus to people by loving on them, not judging and condemning them. Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And I love that because as we have said many times, it is not in our own power that we're able to show Jesus to people around us. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In other words, we need to live this life forgiving others. Because Jesus forgave all of us. And we didn't deserve it, but he still forgave us. And so part of our mission is not just to tell others about him, not just to love like he loved people, but also to forgive. And that's not easy for us to do, especially in 21st century America, man. Let me tell you, we hold lots of grudges, don't we? But he says, as you forgive, so you will be forgiven. A little bit of motivation there to forgive, amen? But there's one disciple in verse 24, Thomas. He is one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. How many of us can resonate with that? That unless I see, I will not believe. I've done a lot of street witnessing in my life. I've talked to a lot of people on the job, people in my own family that have said this very thing. By the time you do, it'll be too late. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. What's required of us right now is to believe and do that now. Because if you're waiting to see to believe, when you do see and believe, it'll be too late. So Thomas represents every one of us post the ascension of Jesus. Every one of us are like Thomas. We're in this position to where we have to believe without seeing. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Go ahead, put your finger in here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus knew Thomas's heart. It's almost like he was there when that conversation took place. He knows all of our hearts right now. And what he is saying is, do not disbelieve. Believe. Man, the world cries for evidence, for everything. 
The world, want, the world wants to see proof because without proof, it's not true. There's a lot of evidence. Okay, Jesus appeared to 500 people, at least 500 people after he resurrected. These disciples, some of them, okay, one was literally sawed in half. It would not recant his faith. Some were speared through. Some were beheaded. John, the one who wrote this gospel, they tried to boil him alive. But he would not give up his faith. He would not rescind his testimony. That's the reason why we're here 2,000 years later. Is his word never passes away. He's saying, with love in his eyes, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, and this is what I pray your answer is today. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed. What's that word? Blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hello, those of us in here and watching online that have not seen. You have an opportunity today, if you're not in Christ, to be blessed. And if you are in Christ, you are blessed because you believe and have not seen.